a lot about the Old Testament, you know, from the law to the Messiah to covenants, all, all of this trajectory that the Old Testament has taken that we live in today. And one of the things that we probably don't think very much about is that the, the whole trajectory of the Old Testament also pointed towards the church. You know, we think the trajectory of the Old Testament is simply in the person of Jesus. But Jesus came as well to institute the church. Now, I've, I've got to tell you, um, you know, there's probably, you know, can, can I, okay, I'm just going to say, I just love the church. As crazy as it makes me, as many times as I've wanted to walk away, as many times as the people have frustrated me, you know, I, I can't tell you how many resignation letters I have in my file on my desk. Right? Like, if I ever do resign, I don't have to create a new letter. Okay? Okay? That's, it's just, that's, the, that's just the reality. Nothing has frustrated me more than the church. But nothing has given me joy in what I do like the church. You know, besides my family and, and, and all of that. But to devote, a, you know, a significant part of my life, the church is, in my mind, the very best that humanity, the very best of humanity to, to the world around us. And I think we forget that. I think when it comes to the church, we look at other organizations, we look at other institutions, we look at other nonprofits, we look at other, you know, other communities to make the world a better place. And I think we forget that for Jesus, the church is the very best that humanity can bring to the world around it. That is, I believe very much that that's, that's the vision that Jesus cast to his disciples when, you know, when, when he instituted the, the Lord's Supper. I think, you know, and the passage that we're going to look at this morning is um, a passage that, again, kind of, kind of gives the insight that we need about what Jesus was projecting when it comes to the church. Okay, so we've talked about the Old Testament, but, you know, the Old Testament uh, word, when it, when it, when it comes to um, church, uh, assembly, community, congregation. Those are the Old Testament words that actually, uh, you know, under, undergird this word church that we use today. How many, you know, it's very interesting to me that often the nation of Israel is considered the congregation of God, the people of God. Even though they were, you know, an institutionalized uh, nation, they were very much a congregation. They were, they were communicated to. Moses would talk to them as if they were a congregation of people. And it wasn't just a, you know, a, a constitution that was national. It was much more than that. That these were the people that God had brought into a relationship with him. That is what defined them. It wasn't the borders. It wasn't their, you know, their constitution as, as a national identity or anything like that. It was who they were as the people of God, this this separate entity that existed as people who lived by faith in the creator of the universe. And a lot of that is what projects into this word called church. And in in, in church, you've heard it a thousand times probably, but the Greek word is ekklesia. 
is, 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 is church. And in the time when the New Testament was being written, ecclesia was, was a relatively popular word. Any organization that was set apart for a, a particular task or a particular uh, kind of uh, you know, a mandate could be called an ecclesia. Right? If, you, if you go to Athens, Greece, and you go to Mars Hill, if you walk up the steps to the Parthenon, and if you look to your left as you're walking up those steps, you'll see this mound just before the Acropolis. And that mound is Mars Hill, where Paul went up and talked to the, the philosophers and the religious leaders and told them about you know, the altar of the unknown God and projected about that, that Jesus had been revealed to humanity. And that place in ancient Greece is where the ecclesia used to meet. People who used to be, used to, uh, there, there, were, there were these draws that, that people of the city, when there were, there were these, these trials that would go on, and they would develop this ecclesia to go, and they would judge, you know, these, these trials, and they would judge these, these court uh, proceedings. And that was called an ecclesia. And Paul went, and, and, and the New Testament went and redefined this whole word. You know, there's so many words in the Bible that get redefined. And church is one of them. Ecclesia is one of them. That it became this called out people, just like the nation of Israel, who are devoted, devoted to the person of Jesus Christ. This is what defines us. This is what categorizes. This is why we get together. Many of us believe that we get together as churches as a social cause or as a hospitality cause. You know, all those things are good. All those things are right. But the first and foremost and primary reason we meet together is to worship and to fellowship in the name of Jesus. That's what it is, first and foremost. So that's really important to, to remember. So I'm going to read us a, a, a quick passage uh, from Matthew 16. We all know, oh, I shouldn't, I, I'm, I'm assuming too much, so forgive me. But we've heard, probably heard this passage many times. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Remember the series that we, we, last week we said Son of Man was the most popular name that Jesus called himself. Okay, here, here it is here. So he asked his disciples, who, who did they say? In other words, what are the rumors saying about me? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, okay, fine and dandy, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, Next frame, please. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In other words, this is a direct revelation from God to Peter. Okay? Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I love this. Then he sternly, sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Remember we said last week all the messianic expectations and Jesus was really cautious about messianic expectations. Now, the passage opens up with Caesarea Philippi. And that's significant 
Because it's some distance away from Jerusalem. And if you know anything about that area of the, of the world, Caesarea Philippi was one of the most uh, lavish um, communities or cities that, that worshipped everything. You know, when, when someone important today, if the prime minister or the president want to m- make a statement, often they'll stage the statement. You know, if he's gonna if he's gonna you know donate millions of dollars to a certain cause, they're gonna do it right in you know the in the front of the head office of the building. They're gonna do it right in, in a very staged way. Jesus absolutely stages this event. Uh, you know, you, you can't miss that. Caesarea Philippi is one of the most celebrated pagan cities of the ancient world. It had everything, uh, you know, emperor worship, worship of Pan, um, all these temples. It's Jesus, it's Jesus walking into this metropolis that celebrated everything about human paganism. And he stands in the midst of all of this and he says, I am going to build my church. And all of this, all of this isn't going to be able to compete with it. All of this isn't going to stand. All of this is not going to matter. All of this, I'm going to supersede in a way that the world is not going to be able to believe it. It's absolutely a staged moment in the life of, of, the, of the disciples. And Jesus is doing this very, very intent, intently. And it's interesting, too. He says, he asks his disciples, who do, you, who do the people say that I, who, who do people say that I am? And I think it's very politically correct what the disciples answer. They give them all the, all the really nice answers. Oh, you're, you're one of the prophets. The reality is, the reality is, is they're calling Jesus every name in the book, the religious leaders at least. They're spreading rumors about him being with sinners, being with tax collectors, being with those that you shouldn't be with. In fact, they call them a glutton. And in that day and in that age, to call a person a glutton is one of the worst insults you can call them. Because they're Jewish people, and a glutton, right, is a person that doesn't adhere to the ceremonial laws of how to eat. And he's eating with people who are unclean. Everything about the rumors, at least from the religious leaders, is something that, that Jesus is prodding them about. And they give him, they give him the very nice, politically correct answer. That you're like one of the prophets. But Jesus says, okay, you've been with me a while. We've been hanging out for a while. You've seen what's going on. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So from this passage, I want, I want to just give you four really quick points. Four really quick points. That reminds us about the church. Number one is our indisputable indisputable mission. Jesus said that he will build his church. We don't build God's church. Jesus does. We are absolutely vessels and tools that God uses to build his church. What's very interesting to me is, is Jesus, Jesus says the gates of hell or you know, what, whatever that term is in the Greek will not be able to stand okay, with the pursuit of the church. Here, here's the deal. The church is to move out into the world, and it's an unstoppable force. Now, the gates of hell um, is an idiom in that day, okay? It's an idiom for death, all right? What Jesus is actually saying, 
that death itself is not going to be able to stop the progress of the church. Okay? Um, which, is, which, is, which is a little bit of a twist to how we typically understand the gates of hell. That death and all the darkness that surrounds it will not be able to extinguish the light of the church. The church will make a difference in the world no matter where it goes. Here, here's the reality. Death and darkness is the, the kind of... Um, I hate, you know, hate to say it. it. It's kind of like the, 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 the bottom foundational component of the world that we live in. The church rises above that. The church is the light that beats the darkness away. The church is the place where death itself cannot, cannot destroy it. That all the things that we say about the church and, and get upset about the church, that the church has this movement forward, that there's always this, this, this anti-force against it that wants to kill it off, that, that bring death into it, that br- tries to bring darkness into it. But the light will always beat the darkness, period. And the darkness will never be able to extinguish the church, no matter how hard people try. The church is the most powerful expression of God's glory in a human form that, that we have ever seen. That we are the hands and feet of Jesus. That Jesus generated out of, out of his sacrifice and out of his rex- resurrection this thing that we call the church. And often we just think of church as a way of rolling out of bed, coming in and going, Oh my goodness, I got to get through this. Sorry, I'm in a bad mood today or something, right? But our indisputable mission that nothing can stop the church, okay? Second, second thing is our incredible composition. I love the fact that Jesus says to Peter, Peter of all people, take the sandal out of your mouth and tell me who, you know, who do you, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. What is fascinating to me is that Jesus actually says, you are, you know, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I know, you know, in, in the Greek it's like you're, you're, you're Petros and I'm you know, going to build on this Petra. And, and it's a play on words between stone and rock and all this kind of stuff. But here's the reality. Here, this is what Peter would have heard. This is what Peter would have heard. He would have heard, I am going to build this church. I'm going to, and, and nothing is going to be able to stop it. This unstoppable force, and you get to have a part in it. You get to play a significant role in it. You get to be, make a difference in the world. That you get to be part of what God is doing and what God has been planning to do for many, 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 many centuries and many, many years. That you are not going to be an insignificant part of it. And the disciples would have heard that too. And it's amazing to me that the power of God and the movement of God and the mission of God is done through people like you and me. That we change the world when we place our faith in a God that it can do immeasurably more than we ever hope or imagine. And that's what the power of the church resides in the people who call by his name and move out with force and power and authority and, and, a, and a desire to serve God in a way that serves other people and makes a difference in their lives. That this person, Peter, and isn't it amazing? You know, Peter has, you know, if, if, by the way, if you read 
If you read Matthew's gospel uh, a little further on, just mere verses past this, Peter messes up. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Like, what are you talking about? You know, right? Peter, Peter's up and down so much. Peter's up and down so much. But here he is being told by God that in all your frailties, in all your weaknesses, in, in, in all those moments that you doubt and stuff, I'm going to have you be a significant part of this movement that's going to change the world. And it's no different for you or me. We can make that kind of difference. It's no different. Here's the, here's the, here's the third thing. Our indispensable foundation. Our foundation is built on Jesus Christ. We don't build a foundation on, on another human being. We don't build a foundation on, on you know, our, our finances, our resources. We have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the wonder. This thing called the gospel, which is the good news for the world. That we don't have to recreate why we even exist. It's an incredible foundation. A foundation that God himself built through his son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Ephesians, Paul wrote in 2.20, We are his house, that the people of God are his temple. The people of God are, are the temple that, that, that lift up the sacrifices to God and honor what he has done in our lives. That's what this communion table is all about. He says, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone of that building, the cornerstone of that building that, that sets it all and, and aligns everything up is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. That all believers are joined together by Faith, And that's what consists of the ecclesia. That's what consists of, of the church. I love, <laughs> I, 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 I love, <sighs> I, I love uh, the story of, of Hudson Taylor, who was going to China Inland Mission. And um, he, was, he was looking for missionaries to go to China with him. And, and a man with one leg showed up in, in a wheelchair. And Hudson Taylor said, what? Are you sure you want to become a missionary and go to China? Like, why, you know, why would you want to go? And the man said to Hudson Taylor, he said, you know what? I don't see the people with two legs going. <laughs> Do you think he got the job? Yeah. They sent him and he became, a, 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 you know, a very important part of Hudson Taylor's ministry to China. It's amazing. God can use every single one of us for his honor for his glory every single one of us okay our indispensable uh foundation okay our here's the here's the last thing our indescribable future indescribable future um, a number of years ago when i was teaching in, in um I, I had a class in the seminary i'll never forget we actually were going through this passage with a number of, of students in, in the class and one of the seminary students said uh, guess what? I was, I was in Caesarea Philippi in 1996. I said, really? I said, what was it like? He said, it was one of the most powerful places to witness for Jesus. I said, really? And he goes, yeah. Amidst all the ruins of all these temples, of all, of all these places that were worship centers at the time that Jesus walked those streets. And he pointed to all of them and said, you know, you know these, this is all well and good. But I will build my church. I will build my church. And all of this will not be able to stop it. And he said it was just amazing how many people 
We're witnessing on the streets there saying, you know what? This is where Jesus said that he will build his church. And guess what? I'm part of his church. And we're here. Look at the ruins. And look at, look at these things that used to be pillars of the absolute communities back then. And were worship centers back then. That are just nothing but rubble. Nothing but ruin. Today. Want to hear a sad statistic? 91% of the world's population has heard of Coke. 74% of the, of the world's population have seen Coke. 51% have even tasted it. Coca-Cola I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> I know a couple of you I looked worried over, you know. Fifty, that means half the people in this room have tasted Coke. Okay, no, yeah. But according to this, only 10% of the world's population has heard the gospel. Pretty sad when Coca-Cola outstrips the church. Have we lost the wonder of the church? Live churches, I love this. Live churches are constantly changing. Dead churches don't have to. Live churches have lots of noisy kids. Dead churches are fairly quiet. Make some noise. Live churches are constantly improving for the future. Dead churches worship their past. Live churches move out in faith. Dead churches operate totally by human sight. Live churches focus on people. Dead churches focus on programs and policies. Live churches are filled with givers. Dead churches are filled with tippers. Live churches dream great dreams of God, and dead churches relieve, relive nightmares. Live churches don't have can't in their dictionary. Dead churches have nothing but. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. Fossilize. Here's a passage out of Ephesians I just want to leave you with before I give you the last, uh, last point I want to make. God's purpose in all of this This is beautiful from the Apostle Paul. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, the darkness and the death that Jesus was talking about. This was his eternal plan. In other words, the church was always part of God's plan from the very beginning, which he carried out, which he carried out through Christ Christ. Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I want to, just before, just before we get the worship team back here, I want to read a, a quote. I just recently came across this. If, if those of you know who Brené Brown is, right, she's an author and a researcher on shame, etc. She recently just came back to the church, um, which is really fascinating when you think about it. You know, so she said she had a breakdown She had a breakdown that propelled her to go back to church. I love this. In a video interview, she said this. I definitely went back to church for all the wrong reasons. I really went because this is hard. In other words, life is hard and life hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they say, in other words, all the midlife books that she was reading, they all said go back to church. Isn't that unreal? So if you're having a midlife crisis, you have to go back to church. 
I didn't know that. I thought you bought a red Ferrari, personally. Right? That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had a crisis of cash. That's what I had. So I couldn't get the Ferrari. But anyway. Because that's what everyone does. So I went back to church thinking, I love this, that it would be like an epidural. Like it would take the pain away. And then I discovered that faith and church is not like an epidural at all. It was like a midwife who just stood next to me and said, push. It's supposed to hurt. Wow. In other words, in other words, what she was saying is that church is not going to be a place where it's going to solve all your problems about life. But what it is going to be is a place that you can gather together with a community of faith who are going to help you and come around you and and walk you through life with all its ups and downs, with all its difficulties, with all its stresses. And they're going to do that because they serve you in Jesus Christ. That when we put on this, 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 this kind of fake face and we think that everything's cured... You know, our salvation is cured. Our redemption in Christ is cured. But it doesn't mean that life just suddenly becomes easy and life suddenly becomes all nice and neat. But it does mean that you're part of a community that's going to care for you and is going to help walk you through those difficulties and bring you out the other, other side whole in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For this uh, concluding message of the church, part of your plan all along. And what a great truth to be reminded this morning that Jesus knew full well that what he would birth through his death, burial, sacrifice, and resurrection is this new community, this ecclesia this congregation of people devoted to you to bring light into the world and nothing, nothing would be able to stop it. And Lord, for for centuries, centuries, the church has been attacked in every way, shape, and form. And yet it still stands. And though there are all these uh, prophets who are claiming that it's dying and it's And it's going to see its last days soon. The reality is that around the world, the church of Jesus Christ is thriving in so many places. Lord, reignite in us a wonder and a love for the church. Who we are, why we exist, and what does it mean for the world and the communities that we are a part of. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.